0: LifeLock woes, remote code execution, and a big scam meets big trouble. All that and more on the Naked Security Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I am Doug Amit, He is Paul Ducklin. And Paul, I'm so sorry, but let me wish you a belated... Happy 23
1: as opposed to Happy 99 Doug
0: How did you know we dovetail immediately into our tech history segment this week on January 20th, 1999 the world was introduced to the happy 99 worm, also known as ska Paul, you were there, man. Tell us about your experience with Happy 99 if you please:
1: Doug, I think the most fascinating thing for me then and now is what you call the B word the uh, <clears throat> brilliant part and <laughs> um, don't know whether. This was down to laziness or supreme cleverness on the part of the programmer. Firstly, it didn't use a pre-generated list of email addresses. It waited till you sent an email, scraped the email address out of it and used that. With the result that the emails only went to people that you'd already just communicated with, giving them a greater believability. And the other clever thing it had, it didn't bother with things like subject line and message body. It just had an attachment, happy99.exe, that when you ran it in the foreground showed fireworks and then you closed it, seems like no harm done. So there were no linguistic clues, such as, hey, I just got an email in Italian from my Italian buddy wishing me happy Christmas, immediately followed by an email in English wishing me a happy 99. And we don't know whether... The programmer foresaw that, or as I said, whether it was just, oh, I couldn't be bothered to work out all the function calls. I need to add this to the email. I know how to create an email. I know how to add an attachment to it. I'm not going to bother with the rest. And as a result, this thing just spread and spread and spread and spread. A reminder that in malware programming, as in many things in life, sometimes less is a lot more.
0: All right. Well, let's uh, move on to a happier subject, a kind of sort of remote code execution hole in a popular cloud security library. Wait,
1: that's not happier. But what happened here? Well, it's happier in that the bug was not revealed in the wild with a proof of concept. It was only documented some weeks after it had been patched. And fortunately, although technically it counts as a remote code execution bug, which caused a lot of drama when it was first reported, it did require that the crooks essentially broke into your apartment first and then latched the door open from the inside for the next wave of crooks who would come along. So it wasn't as if they could just show up at the front door and get instant admission. The irony, of course, is that it went around a popular open source toolkit called JSON Web Token, or JWT for short, A JWT is basically like a session cookie for your browser, but that's more geared towards a zero-trust approach to authorizing programs to do something for a bit. So for example, you might want to authorize a program you're about to run to go and do price lookups in a price database. So you need to authenticate first, maybe you have to put in a username, maybe you have to put in a password, and then you get this access token that your program can use, and maybe it's valid for the next 100 requests or the next 20 minutes or something, which means that you don't have to fully reauthenticate every time, but that token only authorizes your program to do one specific thing that you set up in advance. It's a great idea, it's a standard way of doing web-based coding these days. Now the idea of the JWT as opposed to other session cookies is that in a zero trusty sort of way, it includes who the token's for, what things it's allowed to do and, as well as that, it has a cryptographic keyed hash of the data that says what it's for. And the idea is that that hash is calculated by the server when it issues the token using a secret key that's buried in some super secure database somewhere. Unfortunately, if the crooks could break into your apartment in advance by jimmying the lock, and if they could get into the secret database, and if they could implant a modified secret key For a particular user account and then sneak out, apparently leaving nothing behind. Well, you'd imagine if you mess up the secret key, then the system just isn't going to work because you're not going to be able to create reliable tokens anymore. So you'd think it would fail safe. Except that it turns out that if you could change the secret key in a special way, then next time the authentication happened to see whether the token was correct or not, Fetching the secret key could cause code to execute and could theoretically either read any file or permanently implant malware on the authentication server itself, which clearly would be a very bad thing indeed. And given that these JSON web tokens are very widely used and given that this JSON web token toolkit is one of the popular ones out there, clearly there was an imperative to go and patch if you're using the buggy version. The nice thing about this is that patch actually came out last year before Christmas 2022, and presumably by arrangement with the JSON Web Token team, the company that found this and wrote it up only disclosed recently, about a week ago. So they gave plenty of time for people to patch before they explained what the problem was in any detail. So should end well.
0: All right. Let us stay on the subject of things ending well, if you are on the side of the good guys. We've got four countries, millions of dollars, multiple searches, and several arrested in a pretty big investment scam.
1: This was a good old-fashioned, hey, have I got an investment for you? And apparently there were four call centers, hundreds of people questioned, 15 already arrested, and this was the cold calling people for investing in a non-existent cryptocurrency. So one coin all over again, and we've spoken about that one coin where there were something like $4 billion invested in a cryptocurrency that didn't even exist. In this case, Europol talked about cryptocurrency schemes. So I think we can assume that the crooks would run one until people realized it was a scam, and then they'd pull the rug out from under them, run off with the money, start up a new one. The idea was start really small. So the person, look, you only have to invest a little bit. Put in 100 euros maybe as your first investment. The idea was people would think, I can just about afford this. If this works out, I could be the next Bitcoin style billionaire. They put in the money. And of course, you know how the story goes. There's a fantastic looking website. And your investment basically just keeps inching up some days, leaping up on other days. Basically, well done. So that's the problem with these scams. They just look great. And you will get all the love and attention you need from the big air quotes here, investment advisors, until the point that you realize it's a scam. And then, well, you can complain to the authorities. I recommend you do go to the police if you can. But then, of course, law enforcement have the difficult job of trying to figure out who it was, where they were based, and getting them before they just start the next scam.
0: Okay, we have some advice here. Um, We have given this advice before. It applies to this story as well as others. If it sounds too good to be true, guess what?
1: It is too good to be true, Doug. Not it might be, it is too good to be true. Just make it as simple as that. That way you don't have to do any more evaluation. If you've got your doubts, promote those doubts to the equivalent of a full-blown fact. You could save yourself a lot of heartache.
0: We've got take your time when online talk turns from friendship to money. we talked about this. Don't be fooled because a scam website looks well-branded and professional. As a reformed web designer, I can tell you it's impossible to make a bad-looking website nowadays. And another reason I'm not a web designer anymore is uh, no one needs me. Who needs a web designer when you can do it all yourself?
1: You mean you click the button, choose the theme, rip off some JavaScript from a real investment site.
0: Drop a couple logos in there. Yep.
1: It's a surprisingly easy job and you don't need to be a particularly experienced programmer to do it well.
0: And last but certainly never least, don't let scammers drive a wedge between you and your family. C point one about something being too good to be true.
1: Yes, there are two ways that you could inadvertently get into a really nasty situation with your friends and family because of how the scammers behave. The first is that very often, if they realize that you're about to give up on the scam because friends and family have almost convinced you that you've been scammed, then they will go out of their way to poison your opinion of your family in order to try and prolong the scam. So they'll deliberately drive that wedge in. And almost worse, if it's a scam where it looks like you're doing well, they will offer you bonuses for drawing in members of your family or close friends. If you manage to convince them, unfortunately, they're going down with you and they're probably going to hold you to blame because you talked them into it in the first place. So bear that in mind.
0: Okay. Our last story of the day. Popular Identity Protection Service LifeLock has been breached kind of but it's complicated it's not quite as straightforward as a a breach breach
1: yes that's an interesting way of putting it doug (laughs) the reason that i thought it was important to write this up on naked security is that i saw the notification from norton lifelock about unauthorized login attempts on mass into their service that they sent out to some users who had been affected and i thought uh oh here we go people have had their passwords stolen at some time in the past and now a new load of crooks are coming along and they're they're knocking on the door and some doors are still open. That's how I read it and I think that I read it correctly but I suddenly started seeing headlines at least and in some cases stories in the media that invited people to think that oh golly they've got into Norton LifeLock, they've got in behind the scenes, they've dug around in the databases, they've She recovered my passwords, oh dear. I guess in the light of recent disclosures by LastPass, where password databases were stolen, although the passwords were encrypted, this, if you just follow the, oh, it was a breach and they have got the passwords, sounds even worse. But it seems this is an old list of potential username-password combinations that some bunch of crooks acquired somehow Let's assume they bought it in a lump from the dark web and then they set about seeing which of those passwords would work on which accounts, what's known as credential stuffing because they take credentials that are thought to work on at least one account and stuff them into the login forms on other sites. So eventually they sent out a warning, the Norton LifeLock crew, to customers saying we think you're one of the people affected by this probably just to people where a login had actually succeeded that they assumed had come from the wrong sort of place to warn them somebody's got your password but we're not quite sure where they got it because they probably bought it off the dark web and therefore if that happens, there may be other bunches of crooks who've got it as well. So I think that's what the story adds up to.
0: And we've got some ways here how these passwords end up on the dark web in the first place, including phishing attacks.
1: Yes, that's pretty obvious. Somebody does a mass phishing attempt against a particular service and N people fall for it.
0: And we've got keylogger spyware.
1: That's where you get infected by malware on your computer like a zombie or a bot that has all kinds of remote control triggers that the crooks can fire off whenever they want. And obviously the things that bots and zombies tend to have pre-programmed in them include monitor network traffic, send spam to a giant list of email addresses, and turn on the keylogger whenever they think you're at an interesting website. In other words, instead of trying to fish your passwords out by decrypting otherwise secure web transactions, they're basically looking at what you're typing as you hit the keys on the keyboard.
0: All right, lovely. We've got uh, poor server-side logging hygiene.
1: Normally, you'd want to log things like the person's IP number and the person's username and the time at which they did the login attempt. But if you're in a hurry programming and you accidentally logged everything that was in the web form, what if you accidentally recorded the password in the log file in plain text?
0: All right, then we've got RAM scraping malware. That's an interesting one.
1: Yes, because if the crooks can sneak some malware into the background that's able to peek on memory while your server is running, they may be able to sniff out, whoa, that looks like a credit card number. That looks like the password field. Obviously, that sort of attack requires, as in the case we spoke of earlier, it requires the crooks to break into your apartment first to latch the door open But it does mean that once that's happened, they can have a program that doesn't really need to go through anything on disk. It doesn't need to search through old logs. It doesn't need to navigate the network. It simply needs to watch particular areas of memory in real time in the hope of getting lucky when there's stuff that is interesting and important.
0: We've got some advice. Uh, If you're in the habit of reusing passwords, don't do it. I think that's the uh, longest running piece of advice I can remember on record in the history of computing. And we've got don't use related passwords on different sites.
1: Yes, I thought I would sneak that tip in because a lot of people think, ah, I know what I'll do. I'll choose a really complicated password and I'll sit down and I'll memorize X3A forward slash equal sign question mark, blah, 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 blah. So I've got a complicated password. The crooks will never guess it. So I only have to remember that one. Instead of remembering it as the master password for a password manager, which is a hassle I don't need, I'll just add dash FB for Facebook, dash TT for TikTok, dash TW for Twitter. And that way, literally, I will have a different password for every website. The problem is, in an attack like this, the crooks have already got the plain text of one of your passwords if your password has complicated bit dash two letters, they can probably then guess your other passwords because they only have to guess the spare
0: letters. All right, and uh, consider turning on 2FA for any accounts you can.
1: Yes, as always, it's a little bit of an inconvenience, but it does mean that if I go on the dark web and I buy a password of yours and I then come steaming in and try and use it from some unknown part of the world... It doesn't just work because suddenly I need the extra one-time code as well.
0: All right. And uh, on the LifeLock story, we've got a reader comment. Pete says, nice article with good tips and a very factual approach. Smiley face emoticon.
1: I agree with the comment already,
0: Doug. (laughs) But do go on. I guess people like to blame companies like Norton LifeLock because it is so easy to just blame everyone else instead of telling people how to do it correctly.
1: Yes, you could say those are slightly harsh words. But as I said at the end of that particular article, we've had passwords for more than 50 years already in the IT world, even though there are lots of services that are trying to move towards the so-called passwordless future, whether that relies on hardware tokens, biometric measurements, or whatever but I think we're still going to have passwords for many years yet, whether we like it or not, at least for some or perhaps even many of our accounts. So we really do have to bite the bullet and just try and do it as well as we can. And in 20 years time, when passwords are behind us, then we can change the advice and we can come up with advice on how you protect your biometric information instead. But for the time being... This is just one in a number of reminders that when critical personal data like passwords get stolen, they can end up having a long lifetime and getting widely circulated among the cybercrime community.
0: Great. Thank you, Pete, for sending that in. If you have an interesting story, comment, or question you'd like to submit, we'd love to read it on the podcast. You can email tips at sophos.com. You can comment on any one of our articles. Or you can hit us up on social at Naked Security. That's our show for today. Thanks very much for listening. For Paul Ducklin, I'm Doug Ameth reminding you until next time to stay Stay secure. secure.